Okay, uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28, the last chapter of the book. And we'll be reading from verses 11 to the end of the book. Okay, this is the reading of God's word. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a uh, south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. Petoli. There we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Apias and, and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After their days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem to the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to, ap- to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing, wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letter from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear you from what you view, your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere is spoken, it is spoken against. When they appointed a day for me, for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Israel, the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but will never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For his people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with the hearts and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This was a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, we've been on a long journey for several months studying the book of Acts. Now, the aim of this study was for us to go back to the beginnings of the church, to learn our history, and to understand where we've come from so that we could have a clearer sight of where we need to go. As Maya Angelou famously said, if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. Or another novelist, Nora Krug, said this, how do you know who you are if you don't understand where you come from? So that was what we were attempting to do. 
As a new church, we weren't trying to figure out the latest fads or the newest trends in church ministry, but instead, we were trying to go back to our origins and discover the vision and the mission of the church since its inception. Now, today, we're at the last chapter of this epic journey, and to set things up, in chapter 25, the Apostle Paul, after being beaten being put on trial unfairly, being falsely accused, Paul finally appeals to the highest court. He appeals to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had every right to, and he decided to exercise this right. But there's one thing you have to know, and that's Paul appeals to Caesar not because he wants to prove his innocence, Paul doesn't appeal to Rome so that he can show the world how mistreated he actually was. No, it wasn't about self-justification. Paul's real intention in Acts is for him to be sent to Rome so that he can stand before Caesar and spread the gospel in the most powerful city to the most powerful person in the world. That's Paul's intention. He wants to spread the gospel. So, We come to the final chapter with this expectation. Paul is going to Rome. What is going to happen? And so we read and read and read and we read. What what happens? Well, Paul, he's put under house arrest. He's awaiting his trial. There's, I guess, a backlog of people. He's spreading the gospel to Jews and Gentiles who come to him. And then the story just ends like that. Luke doesn't tell us what happened. He leaves us guessing, and more importantly, he leaves us disappointed. We don't get this awe-inspiring picture of Caesar bowing his knee to Christ. We don't get this inspirational account of Paul being put to death for the cause of Christ. This is how this story ends, 28, 30 to 31. This is how it reads. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I mean, what an anticlimactic ending. I mean, did Luke run out of ink? Was his publisher rushing him? to get the job done? I mean, tell us the ending. What is the ending to the story of the church where Jesus stands in the arena with Caesar and they face off? Give us at least the last sermon. How does this story end? And it feels like the, the author is just leaving us hanging. You know, these are the questions that we, the readers, may be asking, but for Luke, this is precisely how he wanted to end the story of the birth of the church. He wanted to end his two-volume work on the history of Christ and the church in this way. How does the story end? With the proclamation of the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ, and that is being done how? with boldness and without hindrance. Do you see what Luke is doing here? He doesn't end the story per se, 
But what Luke does is he's drawing attention to the continuity of the story. Peter, James, Paul, they've come and they've gone. Even Jesus, who after finishing his work, ascended, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel continues to go forth without hindrance. So, Acts ends not happily ever after, but to be continued. The gospel is going forth without hindrance. You know, you may be left wondering, what happened in Rome? But all we have to do is flip the page from Acts 28, and the next book that we find in our Bibles is what? Romans. A letter written to the church in Rome about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the point. The good news of Jesus is being proclaimed boldly and without hindrance. You know, as a local church in Horsham, as we, a local church here in Horsham in the 21st century, we come to the end of Acts and we read, yes, the gospel went forth without hindrance. And what do we do? We flip the page and we see that this gospel that went forth without any hindrance has now reached us today. We shouldn't be wondering what happens next when we look at each other, when we look here in this room, when we look across the world. We see that the message of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. We of the continuation of the book of Acts. That story, that to be continued, the gospel goes forth without hindrance, has continued and progressed down to us today. So, as a church, as we continue the mission of the church, there are two realities that I want to draw your attention to. What happens when we as a church continue to engage in the proclamation of the kingdom and the teaching of Jesus? What happens? Two responses. The first is opposition, and the second is opportunity. Opposition and opportunity. Look with me at verses 23 to 25. This is how it reads. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, others disbelieved, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. As Luke ends his two-volume history, he doesn't paint a rosy picture of fruitful gospel ministry. I mean, think about the ending to a story that you would write, right? How would you end a story? Usually on a high note. But Luke here actually gives us not a romanticized view, but he gives us a real picture of what happens when you present the gospel. You see, instead of you know, it, you know, when you think about everything that had transpired so far in Acts, even with the power of the Holy Spirit and the convicting message of the cross, Luke tells us there is still opposition to this message. Uh, starting about 10 years ago, uh, there were talks among Christian leaders uh, on whether or not 
it had become much more difficult to share the gospel today. There were uh, a series of formal and informal talks, and it centered on this discussion, is it harder to share the gospel in today's world? It seemed as though the spirit of the age was indicating that the world was moving away from Christianity. People were losing respect for the church. The media's coverage of Christianity made it seem as though Christianity was backwards and wayward. People were moving towards a more liberal stance with respect to social issue. And when we, we were seeing the research that was being done, it seemed as though Christianity was in decline and the message was not as well received. With all that was transpiring in the social political world, it felt that it became much harder to share the gospel. Now, as these questions were being asked, there were two conclusions that we came to, that the Christian, that Christian leaders came to. The first conclusion is this. Cultural Christianity is in decline, but Christianity is not in decline. The two are not the same. Cultural Christianity was in decline, but not Christianity. And the second conclusion that was reached was this. It's not harder to share the gospel now. As Luke reminds us, there has been and always will be opposition to the message of Jesus. Friends, we have to be careful as a church not to, romant- not to have this romanticized view of the gospel's acceptance. The gospel is good news, but it doesn't mean that it's well-accepted news. Yes, there are times when there are breakthroughs and times of refreshing, but more often than not, the message of Jesus, if proclaimed correctly, is met with hostility, opposition, and fear. Why? Because Jesus, the message of Jesus is that we have failed in every single way and that within us, there is absolutely no hope. The message of Jesus is offensive because Jesus is the only one who looks us dead in the eye and he tells us, you're not all right. See, Jesus is the only one who tells us, you think you're all right, the world thinks you're all right, You believe that all you need is just a little improvement, just a little renovation, but Jesus is the one who looks into our souls and says, no, you are not all right. You cannot fix yourself. You are so morally corrupt that you can't do anything, anything to help yourself. Jesus is the one who tells us that the human condition is so messed up that we need a Savior who is not from among us. Morally and spiritually, we are dead, and anything short of new life, anything short of resurrection life is inadequate. It will not do. For those of us who believe this message, it's good news, but to the world, this is offensive news. You see, it's one thing to say you need a little help. It's one thing to say you need a little guidance. It's one thing to say all you need is just some enlightenment. But to say, you're completely incapable? To say, you failed in every single way? And the only way to get right with God is through the violent and horrific 
and dreadful cross of Jesus, the only way to get right with God is through a bloodied cross? That is offensive. You know, I, I shared this illustration in the past, but just think, of, think about a time when you were trying to do something or learn something new. Maybe you were starting a business from scratch, or you were learning how to drive, or you were remodeling your living room. Imagine if after you've poured your heart and your soul, your time and your resources into this, you completely missed the mark. You completely missed it. Now, if people come around to you and start to give you some advice, they offer you some help, you gladly accept it. But imagine if someone comes to you and tells you the truth. You got it all wrong. It's a complete failure. But let me do it. I don't know how you would respond, but that is actually hurtful. (laughs) After all the time and energy and resources that you've poured into it, and for you to miss the mark and someone to actually say, you know what, that is a complete failure. Let me do it. That's a blow to our pride. British theologian Nathaniel Micklem said this, The ultimate scandal of evangelical religion lies in its intolerable offense to human pride. The song that we sing, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, it is that which the man of taste and culture cannot bring himself to say. He feels no need for such a salvation. Church, the message of Jesus is always met with opposition because it is an offensive message. John Stott says this, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. For us, that might seem like it's good news, but to the world, that is offensive. That is offensive. Now, you know, I have to be careful here because, you know, before you get too comfortable, before you get too comfortable thinking, oh, I'm glad that's not me. Before you get too comfortable thinking, the gospel is good news to me, I want to ask you a very serious question. And please answer honestly. When was the last time that you truly, truly repented? And by that, I'm not saying, when was the last time you acknowledged your sin? I'm not saying that, but when was the last time you truly repented? When was the last time you saw that your life was at odds with God's Word and His will, where you came face to face with your pride, your arrogance, your indifference, your laziness, your selfishness, your despondence? And instead of making excuses, instead of blame shifting, instead of being irritable, instead of being in denial and being critical, you allowed the offensive gospel to humble you, minister to you, and once again bring you to your knees in complete dependence. You see, when we say that the gospel is offensive, it isn't just offensive the first time you hear it and believe it. But because of sin, and the way in which sin hardens us, the message of the cross will continue to be offensive. You know, 
if you find that every single time you read the Word of God, it's sweet like honey, every single time you read the Word of God, it's always comforting, every time you read the Word of God, it's, it just conveniently fits into your schedule and your worldviews, every time you read the Word of God, it's just always affirming of your own position, and every time you read the Word of God, you see that it, it identifies other people's sins but never yours. That means that your conception of God is just an idolatrous version of yourself. If you've never faced discomfort from the message of Jesus, if you've never felt like when you were hearing the word of God, like your life was being evaded, invaded, and that you were conceding control, if if at the word of God, at, at this proclamation of the kingdom, you were never challenged to lay yourself down, that you never found it difficult, then you haven't understood the message of the cross. You see, the message of Jesus is offensive, not just to people who don't believe, but for people who say they believe it continues to be offensive as the Lord is working sanctification in our lives, breaking us down, transforming us, and renewing us. The process of sanctification and renewal is a very difficult task. You know what's really ironic is, you know, you know what causes opposition in today's passage? The word that Paul speaks, you know what causes the people to say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to listen to you anymore. It's when he reads Isaiah 6. This is what Isaiah 6 says. Uh, This is Paul reading um, Isaiah 6 in Acts 28, 25, 27. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. When Paul points out how blind the people are, when he points out how dull they are, okay, and this, the, the literal translation of dull is fattened, and so what Isaiah and what Paul is saying is the people's hearts have become fattened. where there's layers and layers of denial and insensitivity and just covering up, just becoming so hard. Their hearts have become fattened where to actually penetrate and get to the the people, it's, it's just impossible. And when Paul is quoting this, that's what caused the opposition. And that's actually ironic because the message of Isaiah was so that the people could hear this message, so they can see their blindness, so they can see, finally understand that they were deaf, that they weren't understanding, and what? That they would turn, and as God says, that He would heal them. But instead, they find the message offensive. Yeah, that's why I asked, when was the last time you truly repented? Right? When was the last time that the gospel was so piercingly true that it felt intrusive and offensive. When was the last time 
that you found the Word of God not just intriguing and interesting, because that's what the people are doing. They find, they're like, oh, I want to learn more. I want to listen more and more. But what happens when the message of the gospel finally intrudes into their life and it pierces them? What do they say? You're crazy. I'm not blind. What are you talking about? See, this is the point of Paul's message. Instead of lashing out and turning the other way when you're confronted with your sin and the offensive cross, do we go to the foot of the cross and repent? Being confident in the truth that God loves you and accepts you despite who you are. Friends, the people of God, they welcome this offensive message because that is our only hope, that is our only life, and that is the only truth. So that's the first point. The gospel proclamation will always be met with opposition, both by believers and non-believers. The second point, and shortly, is this. So at the proclamation, as the gospel continues to go forth, there's opposition. We talked about that. But second is opportunity. Even though there's opposition, even greater is the opportunity to proclaim this message of the kingdom. And Luke makes this point in a very creative way, right? Where is Paul? In chapter 28, Paul is under arrest. Who is Paul? Paul is a prisoner at the moment. He's a prisoner in chain. But the way in which Luke ends Acts, he's showing or he's highlighting that while Paul may be in chains, the message of the gospel is not. Do you see that? This message of hope and salvation is not and cannot be chained. It is free to go forth without any hindrance and any barriers. You see, while we may feel the lack of freedom, the lack of liberty in our own personal lives, in our own present circumstances, while we may feel the lack of freedom to actually go and proclaim this good news, the gospel is free. That's the point. Our lack of freedom and our lack of resources, our lack of ability, our lack of time does not and should not restrict the message of the gospel going forward. If the gospel depended upon Paul, it would not have advanced. If the gospel depended upon the freedom of any single individual, it would not have gone forth. But the message itself is free to go forth without any hindrance. Why? Because the work of Jesus is complete. It is finished. And the Holy Spirit has been given to the church. He is working in our midst, and nothing can stop the message of this kingdom from advancing. We may be in chains, but the gospel is not. The opportunity to share, spread, proclaim, preach, teach, and train is always in front of us. Your circumstances do not dictate gospel opportunity. Even your sins, even your weaknesses, they do not lessen the power and the witness of the gospel. 
Praise the Lord. Let me close now uh, this series on Acts with this last word. Um, In a book that was published not too long ago entitled Twitter and Tear Gas, uh, the author by the name of Zenab Tufesky, she looks at the role of social networks, um, the role that social networks play in social movements. So she looked at different movements, whether it's Arab Springs through Occupy Wall Street and more recently the Black Lives Matter movement. And Tufesky, she writes that what motivates people to take action and to create change in the world? And she writes that protests aren't simply a means to an end, but often these movements are an opportunity for people to belong. So she writes this. She, she, she notices this. She writes this. This intense sense of and desire for belonging in protest is not an aberration. It's an integral pro- part of the reason that people protest and rebel. In other words, Tufesky says this. She says, you know the reason why social movements grow? It's not always because everyone is so convicted and committed to the change that needs to, be, that, that needs to take place. She says, no, these movements grow because people have this, this, this desire to belong. There's a social aspect to it. There's a community aspect to it. There is in all of us this desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. There's a desire in all of us to want to latch onto a movement that will have lasting effects longer than even our lifetime. We all have this desire in us to be a part of a community that accepts me for who I am and what I believe rather than how much I make or how much I know. And social movements have played that role. Because in these movements, people find a sense of belonging. They find a sense of community. They find that they're not judged by how much they make, how much they know, or who they know. Zenob, she notes, these social movements have fulfilled society's deep need and desire for belonging. Friends, church, here it is. What Luke presents to us is a movement that will outlast our lifetime, a movement that has the power to transform both society and the individual, a movement that will not disappoint, that will not fail, a movement that is true, a movement that has no failed leader, a movement where its leader was willing to lay down his life for his people. I want to end this series by just simply presenting to you this proposition. If you are struggling to belong, if you're struggling to belong, if you're desiring to be a part of something more than just the American dream or just the next social movement, here it is. The gospel movement of hope life, and salvation for the world from history to history.
the gospel goes forth with all boldness and without hindrance. Would you see this message, latch onto it, and join in this movement of the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom to which we belong? Join me in prayer at this time. If we can take just a few minutes to respond, uh, no one likes uh, an offensive message. No one likes, especially when. Um, words feel intrusive, invasive. But the message of the cross is exactly that. It tells us that we have no hope, no hope, that there is nothing good in us, nothing good, that we need, we need salvation from outside of us, and that the bloodied cross, that wooden, rugged cross, that is our hope and salvation. Nothing cuts us down to size like the cross. Would you at this time allow that offensive message to continue to minister to you in the places that you are at? Instead of denial, rejection, criticism, instead of blame shifting and making excuses, would you allow the message of hope and salvation once again to pierce through to our dull, fattened hearts? And would you come in full reliance upon Christ once more? For those who are looking for a movement, a community to belong to, for those who are seeking something of greater significance than just what I eat, drink, and wear. If you want to make a lasting impact, the movement here that is presented to us in Luke, by Luke and Acts, the gospel movement, here it is, here it is, a movement that cannot be chained, a message that cannot be put to death, Salvation that will continue on until the return of the King. So please take a few minutes to respond in whatever situation you're in. Would you allow the Spirit to minister to you at this time? Let's pray.